Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I am so excited to have as my guest, Chris Salem. Chris, welcome to my show. Meredith, thank you for so much for having me. Well, it's so great. You know, Chris is one of these people that we met through another group that we're both in, and I just loved his energy. We've had wonderful conversations, and I've now read his book, and I'm so excited to bring his expertise to my audience. Let me first, Chris, before we get into our uh, conversation, tell my audience why I'm so excited to have you here. Chris is founder and CEO of CRS Group Holdings. He's an executive coach, like many of my listeners. He's a corporate trainer and professional speaker working with companies to create a thriving culture, starting with a growth mindset foundation. He also helps business leaders and sales professionals raise their level of influence as trusted advisors so they maximize their results. Chris is the author of the international bestseller, Master Your Inner Critic, Resolve the Root Cause and Create Prosperity. His weekly radio show, Sustainable Success, is part of the Voice America Influencers Channel. And also, and this is very near and dear to my heart, Chris is CEO and co-founder of Empowering Fathers in Action a nonprofit dedicated to building strong father-son relationships that lead to higher self-confidence and offset the issues of bullying, suicide, and school shootings. Chris, I love the work you're doing in this world. So what I want to start with is ask you to share a little bit about the journey from where you came from to the work you're doing both with corporate and in your nonprofit with families now. Well, absolutely, Meredith. And you know, all the things that we're, you know, we're doing right now with in the business space as well as the nonprofit or the 501c3 all go back to my own personal experience. And then, of course, experiences that other people have had and gone through. And for me, it was, you know, for me, I my first 33, 31 years of my life, while I had a great worth ethic and I was able to follow through and very good at in sales. I often could not sustain relationships because I had a problem with maintaining them through my codependent behavior and my communication. See, when I was growing up, I grew up in a dysfunctional home where my mom and dad did not get along. And my dad was often traveling, uh, look, you know, building a successful business. And I didn't really have that direction growing up, you know, from my father. And, and as a boy, we boys always turn to their fathers to look for that, look to them as that example. So my mother was very instrumental in my, you know, me growing up, she played both roles, but yet a mother can only do so much in that father, you know, acting as the father as well. She took me to all my ball games, all the different events that were important to me and my brother at the time. But as the result of not having that connection, I was always not knowing this at the time, 
always had this need for validation. I needed validation because I didn't get it from my father. So I was always seeking it out from uh, coaches, teachers. Uh, it eventually ended up being girlfriends that would end up being like my father, not even knowing that consciously. And as a result of that, I was often disappointed. I, I lived my life from high expectations that went unfulfilled where I played the victim and I would often point the finger at other, other people. And I had a problem with going out of my way to please and enable others. If I just did enough for you, whether if it was work-related for a customer or somebody I was working with, or even in a personal relationship, that you would acknowledge me. You would show you know, recognition for what I did to help you. Now, oftentimes, though, I didn't live up to their expectations. And as a result of that, they would constantly want more. And that would then drain me. And then I would become frustrated and angry all over again. So I lived my life out of anger. And because of that anger and that codependency, it had a, a negative impact on me sustaining relationships as well as in business. So I would start strong and then I would just crash and burn and have to repeat the process over and over again. I can't tell you how many times that I built successful book of business only to lose it and then start it all over again. And once they got to know me, just to start, you know, to sabotage it again and start again. So I knew once I reached that point of rock bottom that I had to figure out what was going on and that for the first time I, can't, I couldn't point the finger at other people, I had to take responsibility. I just didn't know how, but the turning point for me was my father at the time who was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. That was the defining moment for me. And then and in hindsight, my father ended up giving me the greatest gift he could ever give, despite all those years that he wasn't really present for those milestone events in my life. He ended up making it up in that, that brief moment when he was dying, it was like in a way that he was communicating to me mm. that, that I could only give what I knew because my father had the same thing happen to him from his father, my grandfather. Mm. You can only give what you can give what you know. See, I didn't know that as a kid. I just figured I wasn't good enough. I wasn't wanted. I didn't matter. But so this is the message I got. And that, but I, that was the defining moment for me that I knew I had to take responsibility for my career and my life as a whole. I didn't know how I was going to go about doing it. I just knew I had to do something and I have never looked back. And that was how Master Year in a Critic evolved. Uh, I developed a process as a result of this that I'm happy to go over with everyone. And that was what I utilize as the foundation in everything I teach with companies in terms of effective communication, leadership, workplace culture, uh, high, you know, engaging one another, developing interdependent work environments, and what I do in the nonprofit to help families create interdependent family structures in terms of their communication and behavior process. I can easily see the parallels with those. And thank you for your honesty about your background. You know, so many people want to appear to have it all together and don't want to tell that backstory. And yet you have instant credibility when you're willing to, you know, be so open about what was missing. And so I think it would be really helpful to my listeners for you to go through this process 
that uh, you teach your clients, you teach to fathers and sons um, in your family program so they can examine, because, you know, we all, no matter how healthy a, a family life we grew up with, there are still our own self-doubts and you say our own inner critic that kicks in uh, un, uncalled, but is there to interfere with our own growth and development. So yeah, let's go into this process that you teach. Absolutely. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain it on an individual basis, and then I'll, I'll correlate that how I kind of integrate it in with businesses. Because a lot of times I can't lead with that because it might be considered woo-woo and oh, well, we don't want to go there, but, uh, I, it, but how it plays out and how companies benefit from that. So for me, it was first awareness, right? I was aware that my life and my career wasn't where I wanted to be. I felt like everything was crumbling around me. I lived in fight or flight mode. I was angry. So I was aware that I wasn't where I wanted to be. Next, I had to make, I had to accept where I was at. Not that I was going to accept that's the way my life and career would be for the rest of my life. But I had to accept that this is where I'm at now. And the only where I could go right now is forward by taking one step at a time. I don't need to know all the answers. I can only take with what I know and what I can control and let go of the rest. Now, that sounded easy for me to say that. And at that time, I really had a hard time actually doing it, you know, even though I could, I could hear myself saying that. But in time, I was able to then actually start fulfilling that. And, you know, and I'll relate, this, relate that to how that works in business shortly. So as a result of that, I was able to find a process that allowed me to get to the root cause of my limiting beliefs. I also had dealt with 12 years of addiction. So as a result of that addiction, which was because of the need for validation, I escaped through certain things. I, had, uh, I was part of a uh, 12-step program. So I used a combination of a 12-step program in Eastern philosophy and uh, you know, spirituality to find a process that would allow me to get to the root cause of what was getting in my way. Now, I didn't know what limiting beliefs were at that time, but that's what was getting in my way, that need for validation. So I had to go, I had to use meditation and journaling. Those were the two habits that were the cornerstone of getting out of the, the problem and then developing a solution from that same place. So over time, through meditation and journaling and journaling, meaning that you write down whatever comes to mind, not overanalyzing, overthinking, just writing whatever comes to mind, because that's when it reveals itself, what could be getting in your way. And that's how I was over time able to determine that all of my, my level, my level of lack of confidence, my lack of self-esteem, all the mistakes that I've made and all the chaos that I created in my life and my career all went back to this need for validation that I didn't get from my father. So it went back to my father. And as a result of that, I was able then through that process to truly forgive my father, but more importantly, forgive myself. Now that was, and that's easy to say, but to do is one thing. It didn't happen overnight. It took some time. But when I was able to truly release that, that anytime when there was a triggering event, something that would create fear in me some or some uncertainty, that could then be, if I was operating in the past and the future, which is a fixed mindset, that would attach itself to my limiting belief and then trigger my anger all over again. And I could be angry for a long period of time. And then I would act it out in my, with my behavior and communication, very codependent. As a result of getting to the root cause of those limiting beliefs, I learned that, that I could control my emotions. 
that I can make a choice to come from a place of in the present moment to choose peace, clarity, that I didn't need to react to the situation, that the situation was beyond my control, but I could control how I perceived it, how I reacted to it. And when I was able to really learn that and perfect that, I was able to then when something that would normally trigger their anger would bounce right off of me. So it wouldn't linger with me. That's how I knew I was able to release those mm -hmm. limiting, that limiting belief or beliefs that had been, that I allowed to control my life and my career up until that point. And from that same place of meditation and journaling, I began to incorporate other disciplines that shaped my success foundation. I began to wake up at 4.15 every morning because I knew I would have more clarity. There'd be less distraction. And this was at a time when cell phones were not, they were just coming out, but you know, we didn't have iPhones and all this stuff that we have today. So I was able to uh, wake up at 4.15, or make my bed because it allowed me to accomplish a small task. And then what, accomplishing small tasks compounds into other small tasks that lead to bigger tasks. I could be focused. Meditation and journaling every day, working out four or five days a week, or doing something that physically, you know, was moving my body. Shower, eating a healthy breakfast, reading a chapter or two out of a book every day to get myself focused and clear, and then reviewing my daily goals. I began to incorporate that, those disciplines into my daily life every day, and I've been doing it for 22 years. And as a result of that, that established that foundation that in, in hindsight began to affect my level of confidence and self-esteem that began to improve my communication with myself, which now impact in, carried out to other people in an interdependent versus a codependent way. Mm -hmm. I was more specific and clear in my communication rather than based on assumption and speculation. And then I was able to learn to accept responsibility for my own role and duty with what I knew and letting go of the rest, which I had no control over. And as a result of that, that also led to being more being leading by example to help others to do for themselves through observing you, which led to obviously to more interdependency, whether if that was in your relationship with another person, with your family, with people you work with, people you work for, people who work for you or people you serve in your business. And as a result of that, it just impacted so many different things that I began to now develop the ability to now sustain relationships, foster more engagement that with, you know, on a deeper level, communicate more clearly, and that, but learn how to lead by example rather than, than manage people. And as a result of that, that had a tremendous impact on how I was able to build more, more effective and more efficient, productive teams in my sales role at the time. And this is something that today that I utilize these same principles and apply this in even the workspace where I teach companies how to build interdependent work environments using effective communication, active listening, transparent leadership, which is coupled with a leadership style that best suits their situation. That could be coaching, servant, visionary, uh, democratic, you know, autocratic, whatever the style that may work for that situation but how, that, how to incorporate the transparency leading by example and then helping companies to leverage their strengths, offset their weaknesses, bringing people together and collectively at a higher level interdependently to get more done and accomplish more. So those are the things that I do um, as a result of that. And then what I do with families as well with Empowered Fathers in Action. Mm -hmm. 
I know that was long-winded. Oh, but. well, there's just so many places to go <laughs> with that. But one of the ones I want to go deeper with, because I think this is something a lot of folks struggle with, is this idea of forgiving someone else, but also forgiving yourself. Because I think that it has to start with forgiving ourselves first, don't you? Before you can really forgive someone else, you've got to be kinder and gentler to your own self and your own thoughts and behavior from the past. I'd love to hear your perspective on the sequence and why it needs to work that way. Yeah, it's so true, Meredith, because you do have to forgive yourself. See, a lot of times people may forgive another person or a situation. They may not forget, and it's okay if you don't forget, but they don't forgive themselves. They may think they have, but this is why that when something triggers that fear against another situation, they go right back into the same old, you know, ritual of mm-hmm. reacting to it. And again, those limiting beliefs come back and, and, and again, own you at that point, or you feel like they own you. So the key is to, to learn that, you know, through forgiveness is to learn that you can forgive yourself. It's okay that we're human. We make mistakes. We learn from those mistakes. It's not about losing. It's about learning and that we only fail when we actually quit. So the key is, is that it's always about progress, not perfection. And the way to really truly understand that and strive for work-life harmony is to, again, embrace that concept of really learning how to control what you can and what you know at the time in the moment and to fully let go of everything else that, that's beyond your control. You know, COVID, you know, the p- political situation, you know, what's going on in your industry. It's, again, you can only control what you know, what you, what you have, your behavior, your communication, your attitude. That's it. You can't control whatever somebody else is going to do in in response to that. And if we can learn how to do that in the moment, we can be more effective in our communication, our ability to relate and understand one another on on shared values and be able to build more interdependency in that environment for higher engagement to be more effective with one another, which carries out to the people we serve in our businesses, whatever, whatever that may be. So it's a process. And, it, and, it, and it's learning how to detach from the outcome or the expectation to the outcome. That's where the problem is. See, expectations to outcomes mean that you're now caught up in what you can't control. Yes, I wanted to That's go into That's that with that. you That's because that was a whole chapter in your book yes. that I thought was very powerful. And I think it's, again, one of those fine balances between expecting great things to happen, you know, setting ambitious goals, and yet not being disappointed or devastated when they don't happen. So talk a little bit more about this letting go of the outcome. So the key is it's not it's okay to have a you know a vision, right? A visionary can see the bigger picture. But the key is is not to get caught up in staying in that future. You got to come, you got to be here right now to first lay that first stone or that brick to start building towards where you're going. So it's learning to shift our thinking away from the fixed mindset that's in the past and the future to being present now from a growth mindset. It's the process. Now, when we, we talk about a process, that can mean whatever that means to you. What I mean by the process means that I can control what I can and know in that time. And then I let go of anything else that will play a part in that, that I don't have control. I may not know what it is at that point. I may not know for a, a week or two, a, a couple of months. I might not know for a year. 
but I don't have to. I can let go of the control of what I can't control and focus on what I can. That's the process. When we can trust the process in the moment, the results that you seek will be a byproduct of that. They just build upon one another. But if we focus on the outcomes that are experienced through the expectations, when you either you let yourself down because of fear or because you're not in the moment or other people don't fulfill their end of it, then we, that fear then owns us or you think it does. And then we get caught up more in the problem, not really in the solution. And that just prolongs the issue going forward. And we, we manage the problem, but we don't operate from within the solution. Life and business is going to happen. There, there's always going to be something, a, a curveball getting thrown out of left field. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time, but it's how we react to it. It's learning to be proactive, thinking differently, not in, just individually, but together as a unit. And how can we be innovative to solve, be proactive to solve the problem to what we know, letting go of the rest so that we can then find the solution to be more efficient, more productive, come up with a new idea, create a new product, a new service, a new way of getting things done. These are the things that in time will help organizations, whether if it's in your home, in a community or in a business to be more effective. But it starts with each one of us owning our own role and responsibilities and being accountable. And it starts again with that awareness that we have to learn how to do that. And then, then how that impacts our communication leadership style and interacting with other people. So uh, that's really about it. You know, trusting that process and let the, let the results you seek be a byproduct, not from expectation. I've eliminated expectation out of my vocabulary. I don't, I don't, I don't follow expectation. Mm-hmm. Even if other people do, I still, I just, I follow the process and I'm doing my part. I can't control that they want to lead from expectation. That's up to them. As I'm listening to you, I'm imagining you're working with a client, and I'm sure some of my listeners have had this situation too, where you've got buy-in from most people that, yes, this makes sense as you know, each of us take responsibility. But let's say you have someone in the group or even more than one who's resistant to this idea that has more of a fixed mindset that isn't open to considering other perspectives or another way of doing things. Um, And even in a family, you know, I'd like people to kind of think of both hats when they're in their family, but also in business. What approach do you take with clients when you encounter specific individuals that don't buy in to what it is you're trying to help them create? Well, again, that's going to be, you know, it's going to happen, right? You're never going to be everything for everyone. one person, there might be a few people. So again, it's not to give up on them. It's to continue to still own your role and responsibility being the example, but you know, not telling them how, when, or why to do it and why this is better, but communicating in a way to, to where you can relate and understand where they're at, why they might not agree with this style. Maybe that they haven't really understand it yet. They haven't come to a point where that maybe we need to do something different. Now, some people may never get it. But the key is we have to learn how to relate and understand. And if for any reason over time, if they're not learning to make those changes of what they observe and, and the other people doing it to learn what they can do better, then maybe they're, eventually you're going to find out they're not cut out for the role. Maybe they're better off somewhere else, maybe in another organization. It's not that you fire them, but, but as long as the communication is specific, clear, 
and you're being, you're asking questions, you're relating and understanding versus to respond, that is going to be a way because, because before people can change and see a different point of view, you got to break through that barrier where you have to relate and understand them. And a lot of times we get caught up in responding, telling people how, when, or why, hey, we're all doing it this way. You should be too. And why are you the one that's really making this difficult because you won't, you know, follow what we're doing differently now to make this better. That approach won't work. That those people are just, they're seeing it with blinders. They're seeing it one way mm-hmm. because there's no right or wrong here. It's a matter of what's, what's going to work best for the group. And all we can do is accept our own role, uh, roles and responsibilities and be accountable and using effective communication and transplant leadership to the best of our ability to, to communicate that amongst one another. And then those few apples that kind of fall away from the tree, you know, they may never get it and that's okay. You know, and eventually you can move on or they decide they're going to move on or eventually they will come around and be able to figure out that my way is not working. And it's not about me. It's about what's best for the group. And that's, what's great about an interdependent work environment. It's not about who came up with the idea, who's right, who's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's what's best for that business unit, that organization, and ultimately what's best for the, uh, for the industry you serve, the customers you serve and so on. So let's go a little bit deeper with this idea of root cause. Because one of the things I really liked in in your chapter on that was it it made me get this image of, you know, peeling back the layers of an onion, because you might think, well, this is the cause. No, this is the cause. No, this is the cause of this particular effect, whatever the effect is. And so you, I'm sure you encountered this with yourself in your own process, uh, but with many clients, I would think that some of them might be apt to conclude too quickly, oh, this is the cause, I found it. But you know from your experience, you've just scratched the surface, it's not really happened yet. So how do you guide someone through that process? If my listeners, for example, want to use journaling as a way to get at what is really behind their behavior, what do you recommend? Well, I would recommend to be aware of what the triggers are. Like for me, it was always that I was, I was always put, I felt like I was always put into confrontational situations where I would butt heads with a customer. I butt heads with somebody I was working with, the person I was working for, or somebody working for me at the time. And it was about me being right and you were wrong. Because, you know, I, I can't, I have the idea and you need to really listen to what my idea is. Because again, I needed that validation, right? Mm-hmm. You, you agreed that I'm right. You validated me. So again, these are the, and the thing is when we haven't resolved the root cause to a problem, what happens? It's going to keep recurring. There's going to be those little signs. That's what the process does. Again, the things you can't control. There are always, it's like, you know, with, if you're sick, maybe someone who has cancer, right? There's going to be these little signs that there might be a symptom. Like there's a little ache in my back and I, you know, for no matter what I do, it's still nagging me, but I keep ignoring it. It's now to say, well, what's going on? You know, I keep getting this. So I got to be aware of it. I got to pay attention to it. There's always going to be symptoms. There's always going to be little subtle clues. Mm -hmm. And if we don't address the problem, it's just going to keep repeating itself. You can manage it, which most people do in business and their personal lives. But if we truly want to, you know, remove those bottlenecks, if I'm using it on a business sense, you know, if we have bottlenecks on on a manufacturing line, we can still produce with bottlenecks but we're not going to be as efficient and productive. 
what if I can now say, okay, I keep having these same situations, different or different situations, but the same experience, same results. That's, it was like deja vu for me all the time in these situations. Finally, when I got it, I began to see that my, my, you know, trying to control what I couldn't control, getting caught up in, in what other people think and, and so on, that I played a part in repeating those patterns over and over again. I kept feeding into that energy to, so those things kept repeating itself. Now, I'm not saying that these things are not going to happen because they have happened to me. But now I, I'm, I, I approach it in a much different way. I'm proactive. I don't allow it to consume me. I don't allow it to push my buttons. I kind of say, okay, this is what's happening. And maybe it's not comfortable. Maybe it's challenging. But now I'm going to learn something from it. There's a blessing disguised in, in this some way. And what we can learn from it will allow us to go through it through mental toughness. And in this case, not just resiliency, but, but really through mental toughness, because we're being proactive, not reactive through resilience, to then learn something from it to grow. Because that's how we grow. We grow when we go through challenges. An Olympian athlete beats his record or her record because of, they went through a challenge or a setback. It's like that in business with any high performer you talk to, they'll tell you that they had to go through a challenge to learn in order to now succeed at a higher level on the other side of the fence. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that, that in time, when we can resolve the root cause to limiting beliefs and adopted a success foundation from the right from habits and disciplines that serve you, that impact your communication, your self-esteem, confidence, and your behavior, this will impact you as a, perform a higher performer in your role and why you're doing what you're doing and being that example for others. Again, you're, you're not there to do it for people. You're, do you're there interdependently to be the example for them to do for themselves. Mm -hmm. so that's the whole idea about, you know, this whole process, you know, being aware of those triggers and then yes. be able to connect the dots with what you know. And in time, what you don't know will reveal itself. And then you can say, ha ha. That's where it comes from. My anger that I experienced every day of my life went back to the, that need for validation that went unfulfilled and it went right back to my father, but I got to forgive myself first and then forgive my father and knowing that I have control over my emotions. I can make a choice to react and let it own me or that I can own it. I can't control my thoughts. You can't control thoughts, but you can control your emotions. Mm -hmm. and that's the thing over time that that meditation journaling will allow you to now see the, that you can do that. Most people think they can't control their emotions, that they're a victim of their emotions and those circumstances. We can own the, control those emotions if we learn how to be present because when we have clarity, we can then analyze things better. We can, we can be decisive and then we can take action as a result. Of it. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you mentioned the meditation and journaling again, because I can say personally, that's made such a difference for me in being quiet enough. Cause I'm one of these human doings, you know, I didn't go, go, go. Um, but to take time to get quiet and just listen to what, you know, I might hear insights about myself. And then as I write too, both of those are, are really very effective tools. And I'm so glad you, you reinforced that. I would like to also, you're talking about your father again, and you mentioned earlier about, you know, when he got cancer, that was like a defining moment for you and his illness and progression to his death. So that my listeners don't have to have that happen with a parent or a loved one before they get this 
awakening, shall we say, or awareness. What was, what was the aha you got? What was it that changed for you? Well, for me was the, the release of the fear that controlled my life and the freedom of knowing that I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be the best because that, that's what my, my life was. I, I had to be perfect and I had to be the best. I had to win all the sales awards. I had to outperform everyone. And that is just exhausting. And it's shifting your thinking to now knowing that I'm going to show up to be my best, not to be the best. Big difference. When we could show up to be our best and we can each do that, we can build an interdependent team that can then win more than lose. It's just like in a football team. When you look at certain teams, why they keep going back to the playoffs and winning the big game, the New England Patriots were a prime example of that. They didn't have all the best players. They just thought differently. They had different found, uh, success foundation. They had different disciplines and they were able to leverage their strengths and offset their weaknesses to be a winning team over, over a 20 period or 20 year period. Now, some teams had far better players, more talent, but they didn't think that way. And it was all about, I'm the best you're not. And they didn't really gel very well. And this is why they didn't go the distance. So it's the teams that, that again, that think differently, that operate interdependently over time that build winning formulas for success. And it will have setbacks. It may have a losing season or maybe not make it, but they rebound quickly. And these are the things that we have to instill. It starts here before it manifests itself outward in your communication, your behavior, your leadership, and the ability to engage and get things more done and to uh, grow your business. So mm. uh, it's a very powerful thing that, that a lot of times companies overlook. They don't take it into consideration. And again, we don't lead with the whole woo-woo thing, but we talk about from a business perspective, because that's what they're kind of aligning with. Mm. And they want results. And results start with how we think first. And if everyone's not thinking clearly, then obviously there's going to be a, a disconnect somewhere. So we have to work over time to help people grow within their own uh, schedules to, to become more efficient. So mm -hmm. you gotta start, it has to start with you. That's great. And uh, tying in with that, one of the things I know you do so well is help sales professionals, different people in service professions, business owners to become more effective influencers. So they become trusted advisors to their clients. And I think that that is so relevant to how it starts in the mind. What is it you do to help people uh, position themselves in their minds differently so they come across as a person of influence that a prospective client would say, oh, I need to work with this person? Well, that's a great question, Meredith. I mean, there can be people that really are good at what they do, right? They may be like, the, you know, they graduated with a 4.0 in, in accounting from their business school. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, their self-esteem and confidence is not where it should be. Now, are they still going to be effective in, in terms of communicating with a client or being really, uh, really shown up to be their best in the firm? Maybe not, because again, their level of confidence is lower than it should be. And confidence and self-esteem are energy. People vibrate at different levels. Now, again, I don't want to get into all that, you know, that you know, stuff, but it, it, it is a fact. So, mm -hmm. so again, these things that can be measured by certain ways that, you know, we can measure frequency and vibration in anything. 
And with that being said, that w- this is why one has to build their success foundation. When you, when you can get out of the problem into the solution and develop your success foundation, that's going to help raise your level of confidence. Now, when you raise your level of confidence and you have more clarity, you can be more decisive, you can take more action. It's in that clarity, we can get really firm on what are the values that define who I am and the business that I'm in. See, many times people have a disconnect. They're operating from someone else's values, values that they've been led to believe would be who they are and make them successful for what they observed growing up in their homes. Hmm. They adopt uh, the, the values of someone else that they deem as very successful, thinking if I adopt those values, then I will be successful doesn't work that way. It's okay to model yourself as a way to get an idea, but those have to be your values. So when you get clarity on your values, and then you can see how that aligns with your business, and if there's a shared values, then you can see how, what are the types of, of customers in the audience that, that you want to serve with that. A business is never going to be everything for everyone, nor will you be everything for everyone, but you will be, every, but you will be something for someone, in this case, more than one person. So it's learning to connect with people in your business, whether if you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, you're running a a multi-million dollar business, that it's about why you do what you do versus just what you do. Nobody cares what you do until Mm -hmm. you give them a reason why. It's about what's compelling to them first. Then once they feel a connection that you relate and understand them on some level, and that relation could have nothing to do with what you do. It could have something that's completely indirect to what you do. And I'll give you an example of that shortly. And as a result of that, when there's that trust and that connection, now people now are more likely to know, want to know what you can do to help them solve their problem. Now it's, now it's important to them to know what makes you unique they don't care about what makes you unique up front. To them, it's just blah, 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 blah. I've heard it a million times before. A master influencer or a trusted advisor knows that they, are, they understand their own core values, mine being transparency, honesty, and integrity. How does that relate to my business? And how does that relate to the people I want to serve? Again, I'm not going to, people don't value transparency or integrity. Now, they don't have to have the same values, but they're shared values. Someone who, like, who values trust, that's ethical, that is uh, somebody who follows through, that can relate to transparency, integrity, and honesty. But if it's somebody completely where they have contrasting values, we're probably not going to do business. And a lot of times, no matter how hard I try to convince them and sell them, something below the surface is just going to say no, and you're just going to be chasing people. And I don't know about you, but I I spent a number of years doing that, spending 20-something years in sales. It's all about creating a level of influence. It's not about persuading people to see your point of view. It's empowering them with compelling content, allowing them to draw their own conclusion. They're making a decision that, that you, you and your company can help them solve their problem. And now they're more likely to jump in with two feet to do their part. Remember, you can't control what they're going to do. But now if they're doing their part and you're doing your part, what is the likelihood of that it's going to turn out to be a good experience? Probably a lot higher. Mm-hmm. As a result of that, what happens when people have a good experience? They refer people. That's how you build your business. Good old fashioned word of mouth and having people having better experiences. You're not there to convince people to see what they should be doing when they don't see that for themselves at that point. So th- this is a key what a master influencer or trusted advisor does. It's, it starts, builds those relationships based upon shared values about what's compelling to them. And then over time, as those relations cultivate itself, 
where they want to work with you to have a, and then when they have a good experience, you're asking for a referral and they refer people and you repeat the process over mm-hmm. and over again. I had a woman who was a realtor one time who was struggling in her real estate career, but she, but she had strong family values and she contributed a lot of a content to her local community with an organization that catered to families. And she did a lot of writing for them. She was a good writer, but she wasn't putting two to two together. I said, you know, your value, you have strong family values, right? Yeah. Are you connecting with people on those family values? She goes, I don't know. I just, whoever was looking for a home or, you know, somebody gave me a referral. I just, you know, I tried to do what they told me to do, go out there and show them a listing, show them, you know, why I could get them into the house that they want. And then she, you know, it didn't work out. She, you know, she was frustrated. She began to leverage indirectly why she did what she did from those values, contributing that content to that local community. People in that community began to love her content. And then when she would sign her name, she would also put that she was a realtor. So when people said, oh my God, she's a realtor too. They were more likely to say, if I'm going to move, you know, if I decide to move or if I know that somebody is moving, I really value her because of her family values because they're important to me. I can trust her. There are six, there's 10,000 other real estate agents in a 60 mile radius of here. I could go to any one of them, but why are they going to pick you? It's not because of what you do or what makes you unique. It's what makes you compelling to them on those values. Then what makes you unique will factor in later, which she was able to you know, develop a strategy over time. And then she saw her business begin to radically improve. And now she's considered you know, in the top 25% in production, or at least that was up until COVID, of course. But mm-hmm. you know, has performed much better in a role as a realtor, in addition to what she loves to do with the local community mm-hmm. in terms of that content. So again, it's why you do what you do versus what you do to become a trustee. Right. And connecting those dots is so critical too, to, um, to not be afraid to put it out there, you know, just putting realtor when you are giving such value. I think sometimes, and this goes back to, you know, needing to examine the root cause, but why am I reluctant to be bold in providing a really profound level of service and yet not tie it into what I do? So You've given so many ideas, uh, so much food for thought today, Chris. I wish we could go on for another hour because I've still got lots of questions. We'll just have to continue this conversation. But thank you so much for all the wonderful insights that you have shared through your own personal journey and through this realtor that you just described. I think that so many of the points that you've made are relevant to everyone who is listening based on their own journey. So I would love for you to share as we wrap up here, how people can connect with you and how they can get a copy of your book and learn more about your services. Well, first of all, Meredith, I just want to thank you for having me here today. It's such a pleasure to be talking to you about this important topic and you're such a tremendous host and I'm very much gratitude for being here with you. Uh, people can find out more information about me at my website at Christopher Salem, one word.com or the nonprofit at EFA, that's EFA movement.org. You can check out both of those websites. You can also find me on LinkedIn, of course, at Christopher Salem. And my email, I'm always here. If you like to chat, there's no obligation. I just like to get to know you. And that's at Chris at Christopher Salem.com. 
And the book is available uh, on my website as well as through Amazon, Barnes and Noble. There's an audible version if you prefer to listen rather than read uh, on Amazon as well. So the book is accessible in a lot of different places. That's great. And again, the title is Master Your Inner Critic, Resolve the Root Cause and Create Prosperity. Such a powerful topic and, and really well done. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for your commitment to the business world and to families, because both of those, you know, are so critical to helping our world become a happier, better place. So I, I admire the work that you're doing and the impact that you're having. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.